go. Let me be respectable here. Oh, hey. All right, let's, uh, let's pray and we'll begin. Lord, we thank you for uh, your word. Um, as Pastor Eugene, let's pray. Thank you for the leaders of our church. Thank you for the elders and the deacons, as well as all the ministry leads of our church. And thank you for the flock of our church that um, you have called us to care for. We pray, Lord, that um, one of the main ways that we glorify you, one of the chief ways that we glorify you is to operate our church in accordance to what you have instructed how a church should look like. So we pray that may these words give us a clear vision of what we ought to be, and may we live accordingly to what we have called to be. All this in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we are um, continuing our series on 1 Timothy, and in particular, we are continuing our studies about the qualifications of a pastor. The qualification of a pastor, like we said last time, is a very important subject because God uses the pastor to feed his people. The primary duty of a pastor is to feed the flock of God. The duty is not to lead social justice endeavors. The duty is not to make some programs that will make your kids enjoy church more, which I guess there is a room for that in the ministry. But the primary role of this position is to feed you. And the right person has to feed, no, I'm sorry, the right man has to feed you. Otherwise, you will starve. The person who is in charge, the man who is in charge of feeding the flock of God, is, is, has to be qualified. Otherwise, your souls will not be healthy. That is why the pastoral qualifications is very, very important. And one of the tragic things of the modern church, I'm sorry, in, in church for the last 50 years, especially in the Korean church setting, is people, churches don't have a clear understanding what to look for in a pastor, what, to, what qualities to look for in order for to judge young men who want to go into the ministry, whether they should even go into the ministry. The main problem, one of the main chief problems of Christendom is people who have not been called by God are doing the work that is so important. This is how modern or this is a modern person becomes a pastor. They feel an inner call from God. Some, I don't know, they have a vision or a dream or impression or whatever, and they feel this huge pull towards the ministry. And they go to the church that says, hey, they don't even go to the church. They say, okay, I feel that God is calling me to the ministry. So they go to seminary and they get a job as a youth pastor and they rise up the Christian ranks. They just feel the power of God pulling them to ministry like the force does. And I guess if I feel the inner call, that I'm called to be a pastor. And they go to, the, go to seminary and they become vocational ministers and yet they teach strange things. There are a lot of strange teachings, powerless, useless preaching out there because men who are not being called 
are doing the work. Therefore, this, a right man has to, be, has to do this role. How do we know what a right, how do we know what the qualities of a person, a man who's called to do this, how do we know? 1 Timothy 3 tells us. But if you look at all these qualities from like an overall, if, if you look at the overall picture of what these qualities are, basically these are qualities of a man who's bearing spiritual fruit. How do you know a person is called into a ministry? He has to be bearing spiritual fruit. If I tell you the will of God, and if I instruct you to live that way, but if I'm not bearing fruit in my life with these things that I'm telling you to do, what good is that? Pastors, more than anyone else, has to be a man who's bearing spiritual fruit. Are you keeping up with your Bible readings? I am. Hey, man. I guess I'm a more better Christian than you all. I hope you're keeping up with your reading. I'm on math, Mark chapter 11 this week, which means I'm ahead. I'm like four chapters ahead. I'm so proud of myself. Mark chapter 11, if you, when you go to it, there's a scene where Jesus looks at a fig tree that seems to be blaspheming because it has leaves. But when Jesus goes closer to that tree, he realizes there's no fruit. It's just, from afar, it looks like the fruit is bearing trees because it has leaves in it. But when you actually go closer to it, there's no fruit in it. And Jesus curses that tree. And that tree withers and dies. Jesus gets so angry at that tree. What's the deal, Jesus? Why are you so angry about a tree? It's not really about a tree. That's not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is not about a tree. That tree symbolizes religious leaders who on the outside seem to be bearing fruit. They're educated. The, 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 the people in society respect them. They seem to know the word of God backwards and forwards, and they strive to obey the word of God back and forwards. From the outside, these men seem very holy. Externally, they seem very holy. But when you examine their lives, there's no fruit. Jesus gets angry at religious leaders who look religious on the outside, but who bear no fruit on the inside. A man who is called to do this must be a man who bears fruit. Otherwise, that man is no good for the ministry. Not just a person for the ministry. A Christian has to bear fruit. You can have the external religiosities all you want. 
But if internally you're not bearing any fruit, that is not to be. Guys, what we believe in is this. That believing in Jesus Christ gives you eternal life. Eternal life is not so much about the, the length of your life. Eternal life is about the quality of your life. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you, become, you, you start to bear fruits of life. You do. Jesus says, if you're connected to me, like a vine branch is connected to a vine, you will bear life-bearing fruit. There is no such thing as a living tree that does not bear fruit. If you're alive, you'll bear fruit. If you're dead, you won't bear fruit. Jesus says, be connected to me, and, I, and you will bear fruit. My dear friends, out of all love and respect and care for you, I ask you, are you bearing spiritual fruit? Religious external, externalities aside, are you bearing fruit? How do you bear fruit? Like I said, you're connected to Christ. What does that look like? And this is an analogy that came into my mind this week. What is, what is the connection between the life-bearing fruit and our relationship with Jesus? This is what I've, this is what I, this is like this image that was, that has been captured in my mind this week. In my office in D.C., Right? There are the windows offices with great views, and there are windowless offices. And there are window offices that is like, the view is like back alley with a dumpster. Okay? Kind of alley where Batman's parents got killed. You know what I mean? I get the good view. Hey, good for me. But the more junior you go, the not-so-aesthetic view your office will have. And there is this attorney. I love her so. If you're listening to this, I love you, man. But she just graduated from law school. So where does she go? To a windowless office. So I go to her because I work with her. I go to her office, and I just, every time I like, sit down in her office, I feel stuffy. Because there's no window in that room. And she keeps it dim. There's no sunshine. There's no anything. It's just dark. And if she has her doors closed, there's no ventilation. It's a stuffy, contained environment. That's the human soul. If you are not connected to Christ, call it your heart, call it your psyche, call it your consciousness. If you're not connected to Christ, your soul is in a windowless, ventless place where your bitterness and your anxiety and your addictions and your lusts are just constantly not getting out. It just constantly fills the atmosphere of that room. 
And it, has, it doesn't get out. You know what I'm saying? The negative thoughts of resentment, the crazy bitterness that you have, in that windowless, ventless space, it does not get out. That's the nature of the human soul without Christ. What does Jesus Christ do? He knocks out that, wind, that wall and installs a window, a huge window where the light of the sun comes into that room. And when fresh, and fresh air comes into that room so that that room will be vented clearly. Every day that the Holy Spirit comes to you through his word to open the window to your room, let the sun in and let the bitterness go out. That's what the Holy Spirit does every day. Do you know this? You all have an image of God as someone you know, who loves you, who has a great plan for your life, who will protect you, who will provide for you. And those are all fine, perhaps truthful ideas about God. But you don't know. The God's primary concern for you is to knock the walls out of your soul, to put his light into you and put his wind to you so that you will be refreshed every day, so that you will experience his life every day. Are you getting my analogy, by the way? When you experience the light of God, and the wind of the Holy Spirit through fellowshipping with him, you will bear life. You will bear fruit. Look, as crazy as my schedule is, my boss is the hardest man that I know, hardest working man that I know. The man does not sleep. He considers more, sleeping more than four hours a night weakness. I go, and I work for such a man. Sometimes we exchange emails at 1 o'clock in the morning. I send him an email. He responds back at 1.20 a.m. And sometimes he responds back at 7 a.m. He says, oh, I'm sorry, I fell asleep. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's right. And he looks at me and he says, and I'm a puzzle to him. He says, you're the hardest working person in my team. And yet you also do pastor on the weekends? He doesn't understand how I do it. Because for him, even I, to him, even I'm crazy too, for his perspective. But the reason why I do that, do you know what, what the secret of me working so crazy and tending to my family and tending to you, what is the secret of my power, my ability to do all these things? I ain't lying. It is I let the light of God into my life and I let the wind of the Holy Spirit into my heart and I let God dominate me for an hour or two a day. If that means I have to start praying at 1 o'clock a.m., so be it. So be it. Why? Because I know, by his grace I know, having, him, having his light in my life refreshes me more than an eight-hour sleep. 
I know you're busy. All of you say you are. But your busyness does not change the fact that you need his light into your life every single day. It does not change that equation. When a man ushers God into his life, he will bear fruit. And these are the evidence of a fruit-bearing man. There are like 14 qualities. Obviously, I can't go to like go down every quality because then we'll be here until, you know, like 4 o'clock or something, and we don't want to do that. So I will, you know, categorize these 14 fruits into like maybe four sections. The fruit-bearing man, the first quality, the first fruit that he will bear is once he is connected to Christ, there is an internal, inner change that the man goes through, that a person goes through. And these are covered in the first, in verses 2, right? Verses 2 and 3 covers what an internal, transformed, fruit-bearing man looks like. If you're connected to Christ, I think we started talking about this last week, the first thing that you will become the more you're connected with him, the first thing that you'll become is you will become a sober-minded person. The evidence of God working in your life, it's not passion. It's not some crazy spiritual experience. It's not you, your ability to speak in tongues. Yeah, I said it. The first, the key evidence of God working in your life is you will have a sober mind. You think clearly. Forget passion for a second. Forget ecstatic Christian, spiritual experiences for a second. The first thing that happens to a man when, when, you, when you are connected to Christ, you will think clearly. You will have a proper perspective about life, about yourself, which is based on your proper understanding about God, and you will have a proper perspective about other people. You have a proper perspective about what harms you, what is good for you, and you will be able to see what is bad for you. You will see things clearly. If you're not connected with him, if you're in a windowless, ventless space, you will not see things clearly. You will always see things filtered through the lens of your brokenness. But in Christ, you'll be a sober-minded person. Sober-minded person becomes a self-controlled person. Self-control person is, means you're not imprisoned to your impulses and desires. You're not impetuous about 
You're not let, like, over, impetuous about you know, things that you want to do, and you do it. You, all, you have perspective. You, you, can, you can do things that are good for you, and you, can, you don't do things that are bad for you. you live, a clear-thinking person lives a disciplined, self-controlled life. Ryan Holiday is, I guess, the, the most foremost stoic thinker, stoic public intellectual, right, of modern times. Stoicism is about, you know, I don't want to, basically it's about focusing on the now. And this is what he says. He says, self, he says, discipline is freedom. Self-control is freedom. The ability to discern what is important and what is not, and doing what is important and not doing what is, what is not important, that distinction allows you to pursue things that are good. That is freedom. A self-controlled, disciplined life is freedom. An impulsive lifestyle where you're just doing things as how you feel, that's imprisonment. That's bondage, he says. Because a person who is just led by their feelings are wasting life and wasting time and wasting their minds. A clear-thinking person is a self-controlled person who lives a life of respectability. The word respectability here means a well-ordered life, a non-chaotic life. Things in your life are just organized well. There is no distinction between what you believe in and how you live. It's a well-ordered life. See what happens to you if the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you? You become a more upright, sane human being. Forget the religious mumbo-jumbo nonsense of, I don't know, these ecstatic spiritual experiences. The evidence of God being involved in your life. It's clarity, sanity, well-ordered life. That's why when you look at a pastor, don't look at his passion, don't look at his out of charisma. How well-ordered is his life? How ordered is your life? How sane is your thinking? How self-controlled are you? What happens to a non-insane, uncontrolled, uncontrolled, non-respectable life? What does that look like? Paul says, what does that look like? A person who doesn't have clarity in life, they become prisoners of lust. They become prisoners of their self-pride. They become prisoners of money and material things. They become prisoners of substance. Paul says, the pastor has to be a husband of one wife. Another way of saying is, a pastor should have a pure sexual life. 
He should not lust after women. A person who has a clarity about who he is and who God is will keep his lust under control. But a person who's not clear thinking, who has this, who's driven by this emotional need, will easily lust after another woman. A pastor should not be quarrelsome, should not be violent. Why are you violent or quarrelsome? Because someone hurt your pride. Someone hurt your pride. Someone insulted you. Someone disagreed with you. How dare they? So you act out. You fight with them, and you become violent with them. A person who is captured by their pride is a quarrelsome person, which leads to violence sometimes. Pride is not saying, I'm the best. Pride is only thinking about yourself and thinking that you are always right. Pride is a symptom of an unclear mind. Paul says, don't, do not get, do not, what does he say? Um, not a lover of money. If you're unclear thinking, you give over, you give, you assign spiritual value to material things. You think somehow material things will give you purpose and meaning and importance. That's how unclear people think, right? I'm a nobody, therefore I can buy respectability through the amass of money or things. We know a car is not just a car, right? A purse is not a purse, right? They are what? They are what? Status symbol. An unclear person a person who does not know who, or she, who she is tries to buy love through material gain. An unclear thinking person, he says, is, is addicted to alcohol. When he says, do not be a drunkard, he doesn't mean we, pastors should not drink alcohol. But it means pastors should not be addicted to alcohol. If you're in pain, emotional pain, you will seek out substances to make you feel better. People are addicted to alcohol, not because they're they're addicted to good times. No one's like 21 forever. But the alcohol is a mechanism to forget, to cope. Because what they're, what they're feeling inside is so horrible, they need to forget. An unclear person, a person who does not know the Holy Spirit, needs these things to make them feel better. That's why a, a pastor who's quarrelsome, who's Lusting after other women, who loves money, 
and addicted to alcohol, all of it are signs of unhealthy inner life, a fruitless inner life. And such a man is not qualified to be a pastor because he is not bearing fruit. Are you with me so far? A fruit-bearing pastor is not only someone in whom God is continually renewing sanity and clarity in them, but a pastor is also someone, as God is working inside of them, God is also changing the way they deal with other people. Paul says a pastor should not be violent, but gentle with, per- with people. The word gentle here means in your dealing with other people, you need a pastor, and, and every Christian should first of all be humble, be patient, and kind. The word gentle here means in your relationship with other people, a fruit-bearing person is a gentle person, is a kind, humble patient person. But guys, let's be honest, being gentle with person, we all agree, is a good idea in theory, but it's really hard in reality. You know why? Because God purposely introduces you to people in your life that will test your gentleness. You know this? In my mind, I think I'm a pretty good guy. But when certain people come into my life, oh, my understanding of who I am is challenged. You know who my kryptonite is? I'll tell you. Because I'm like a work-driven type of person. My kryptonite, the people that I have the least patience for, is people who don't work hard. People who are getting paid to do a certain task, but who's not meeting, but who's not working hard, and, and to do a good work that they're called they're, that they're getting paid to do. If you're volunteer is another thing. If you're inexperienced, is another thing. But if you claim to be a seasoned professional, and if you're compensated for it. And if you're not pulling your weight, that's very, I I take such a person as a personal offense. One of the very first times that I remember that I got beaten up by my mom was I think I was like six or seven. And like my mom went out and she came home late and she didn't have dinner ready. So I told my mom, listen, mom, I understand that you have obligations, you have friends, but let's, for, let's not forget, your primary duty is to feed us. That didn't go too well. But God purposely, from then, even now, God introduced me to people whom I find very difficult to love. God is testing my gentleness. What do I do? 
I need to be connected with Jesus Christ, who is the gentle servant, who has infinite patience and kindness to love a person like me. Whenever I get too big for my britches, whenever I get, when I'm very tempted to start hating and judging someone in my head, that image of my humble servant, gentle Lord, neutralizes the hate. The hate comes back next day. This, I'll be real with you. The hate comes back the following day. then you have to go to Christ again and again and again on a daily basis. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you today, which means God's grace is, you experience his grace on a daily basis. Just because you forgive a person once, it doesn't mean you, 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 don't, you don't have to forgive that person ever. No, forgiveness, what I realize as I'm getting older, is something that you have to do on a daily basis. Even for the same person, for the same thing, you have to forgive that person on a daily basis. I forgive you once and I will never think of it again. That's fantasy. Reality is you will find the person offensive over and over and over again. But God's grace is sufficient for you to be gentle with that person as you're connected with him. You know who I'm talking about in my, when, I'm, when I'm saying this to you? There are people in your life, I'm sure of it, that you find wholly disagreeable on a daily basis. Yeah, the person that popped into your head just now, it's that person. The call is to be gentle. But you can only be gentle, not forcing yourself to be gentle, but truly in a meaningful way, be connected with Christ. For Christ to knock off the windows of your heart and let his light in. That's the way. It is a man who lives like this. It's a man who's qualified to be a pastor. The pastor is also hospitable. Hospitable means the pastor also, a fruit-bearing man, also has his heart open for strangers and for fellow Christians. The word hospitality is having a heart for strangers, especially unbelieving Christians and even like new Christians. A hospitable heart is a heart that is not only for themselves and their family, but a heart that's also go towards people that you don't know. Look, all of us, the simple tendency is this. We have a tendency to hoard our time only for ourselves and our immediate family members. Right? Let's be honest. My time, specifically, more than anything else, belongs to me and my family. And I can give my time to other people on a sparing basis, but most of the time, it belongs to me and my family. As it important as it is for you to manage your family, which we'll talk about in the next two minutes, more important, 
but as much as it is important to care for your family, the person of God just does not only care for their family. Jesus says, every Christian, make disciples of all nations. Go to the nations and tell them who I am. He does not say, live only for you and your family. How is that the Great Commission? John Piper, one of the sermons that he got in trouble for, he says, do not idolize your family. Your family, not me, John Piper, I'm quoting John Piper, don't me, write to John Piper. He says, your family is a temporary relationship that only lasts within this lifetime. But the church, the people of God, are the relationship that lasts for all eternity. Have, don't be so self-contained. You need to have heart for the stranger, for the unbeliever for the brother and sister who needs your help. Dare I say, a person who is hoarding time only for themselves and their families and their friends, you're not living, that's kind of the life that is contrary to who Jesus is. Right? I'm not saying ignore your family. But don't only think of your time, only belonging exclusive to your family members. A family is important. That is why Paul says in verse 4 and 5, the pastor must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? One of the key ways that you find out whether a man is qualified to be a pastor, if the man is married. Non-married people can be pastors too, but in this context, if a person is married, if the person has kids, one of the clear ways that you look whether, see whether a person is qualified to be a pastor is, does that person manage his household well? The word manage here, it's not saying, I'm the dad, you do what I say, or else, or get out of my house. Right? It's not, it's not authoritarianism. Managing a house here means being the servant leader of your house. Being the shepherd of your house. Brothers, you are called to be the shepherds of your house. And one of the key duties of a shepherd is, yes, physically feed the members of your household. I know women work, right? Yay, woman power. Happy International Women's Month. I appreciate women working, right? Right? Every day I talk, tell my fellow coworkers, hey, happy International Women's Month. And they go, get out of here, right? But I celebrate International Women's Month. But men... 
what men only see themselves, their duty as, someone who just primarily physically provides for their families. That's an important role for, your, role for you men, but that's only a small fraction of what God has called you to do. You have to shepherd your family. You have to pastor your family, men. Do you understand? I'm not the pastor of your family. You men are the pastor of your family. You husband and dad, you're the pastor of your family. Both the physical shepherd and the, not the physical shepherd because you're not a shepherd, but you know what I'm talking about. The first the physical provider, but most importantly, the spiritual pastor of your family. And being a spiritual pastor is not just yelling at your kids to read the Bible more. They just go, I need go. You go so not that sometimes, but not that all the time. Like I make it my priority to teach to go over Bible lessons with my daughter at least two times, two three times a week. Come hell or high water, I need to honor that. But most importantly, I also listen to my daughter. Last Monday, I picked her up at like. I was working until in D.C. until like 9.30 at night. Picked her up after orchestra at 10. I was like working like 13 hours that day or something. And on my way back home, she like started to tell the drama. 14-year-old girls have a lot of drama. Oh, fathers and daughters. Wait until they turn 14. <laughs> she started crying. And I can't tell you what drama is because, you know, Dad, daughter confidentiality. So from Tyson Corner to my house, she poured her heart to me. And then we go to her room. Even before I take off my work clothes, I lie in her bed and she, she like cries and tells. And we try to analyze her problem together. Tell me how you feel. I pastored her. And, the, and I prayed for her and with her, and the following day, it got better. But that's the type of relationship that I have with my daughter. And because I have that kind of relationship with my daughter, my daughter says, every time she has a problem, she comes, talk, talk, she comes to talk. She first, the first thing she wants to do is talk to me. And so does my son. It's not because I'm a great guy. But walking with the Lord makes me understand about myself and the people around me. And that constant walking with the Lord allows me to shepherd my children. That's why if you manage your house so well, Paul says in verse, verse 5, verse 4, the children will be submissive. The word submissive is, doesn't mean children will do whatever you say you will. That's not being submissive. Being submissive here means a person who respects you because they love you. How do you know your children is submissive to you out of love? They will come to you with their problems. 
and they seek your advice. That's how you know your children truly respect you and are submissive to you. Children will say, we'll do, do what I say, and they will do it when they're young. But if you don't have this kind of pastoral relationship with them, they may do what you say, but they will never trust you with their problems, right? Therefore, don't you want to have kids now? Yeah, exciting. A A man who walks with the Lord whose heart's being constantly softened by the Lord, is a man who can pastor his family. If I don't know the Lord, I think my personality is, I'm just going to like leave them alone. I think I'll say, ah, oh, because I, I, I provide for them, I don't need to do anything else. That's my default setting. But because I walk with the Lord, He softens my heart so that I can pastor my family. Such is a quality of a man. If the man cannot do this with his own family, how can he do that with you? Therefore, Paul says, A man who's connected to me is a man who bears fruit within his family. And finally, I'm very impressed with how how well I'm doing time-wise. Paul warns the devil's scheme in verse 6 and verse 7. For you small group leaders, I only have a minute to cover this, so you're on your own in this. But verses 6 and 7, Paul warns pastors, the would-be pastors, the people, people who are in pastor position, they will be attacked by the enemy. Enemy number the, the way the enemy will attack you, number one, is he'll, he will attack you by stroking your pride. That's why Paul, in verse 6, Paul says, a recent convert should not be a pastor because if the person has not been walking with the Lord for a long time, the guy, is, is so, the guy can be so readily tempted by pride. Look, man, I know a lot of pastors who think they're like, they're like, the new Jesus or something. They have this strained understanding of who they are. Because so many people look to them, they have this strange sense of importance. They think not only the biblical authority they have authority over, but they have authority of all the, all the other areas of their life. This position is it's, it's like teeming with temptations for, for pride. I'm so glad that all of you, when I get too big for my britches, cuts me down. I know a couple of brothers here who, who thinks it's their personal task in life is to cut me down when I, get my, when I get too big. You know who you are. That's right. When you're smiling at me, that's you. But there are some pastors who don't have these team, these group of men who cuss them down constantly. And their pride becomes too big. And they do foolish things when their pride becomes too big. Beware of pride, Paul says. Verse 7, beware of your reputation being tarnished. Because the way that Satan will hurt you, hurt the church, is by tarnishing the reputation of the pastor. 
don't do things that will tarnish your reputation, not only within the church, but also the outside of the church. Live your, well, live your life such, in a, such a dignified way that there's no room for your reputation to be tarnished. That's what Paul is saying in verse 7. Once again, I have to end, but small group leaders, you're on your own. But this is a very important saying. Summary. One that, the thing that I just mentioned in the last 46 minutes is the evidence of a foot-bearing man that starts from a clear mind. But that's not only for a fruit-bearing pastor, it's for you. Don't think of these verses only pertaining to me and Pastor Rujin. It also pertains to you. Examine your life. If there's any area of your life in which that you are falling short, confess. But especially, back to the first point, are you leaving room in your life for God to shine his light in your life? Or are you stuck in a windowless, ventless conscience? Ask the Holy Spirit to knock that wall out of your, in your heart and let the light of God in. Let's pray.